1: Hello again. I'm Dr. Gary, making good bosses into great leaders with compassionate accountability. And today's guest is a special guest. He is a suicide prevention speaker and trainer and was a writer for the Tonight Show for 20 years. His challenge is that depression and suicide run in his family. He's thought about killing himself more times than he can count. He's fought a lifetime battle with major depressive disorder and chronic suicidality, turning that long, dark journey of the soul into five TED Talks and sharing his life-saving insights on mental health awareness with associations, corporations, and colleges, a motivational public speaker who uses his life lessons to start the conversation, giving people permission to give voice to their feelings. And experiences surrounding depression and suicide. And doing it by coming out, as it were, and standing in his truth and doing it with humor. He believes that where there is humor, there is hope. Where there is laughter, there is life. And nobody dies while laughing. The right person at the right time with the right information can save a life. Please welcome today, Mr. Frank King.
2: Yes, and with an introduction that long, that's our time, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for (laughs) tuning in.
1: Please rate, subscribe, and review. That's right. So, you know, Frank, I love starting off with a little humor and with a serious topic and how it can relate to leadership because mental health today with the pandemic is something that we should be thinking about. So talk a little bit about your your experiences, how you've overcome this or how you live with it, and what message do you have for our leaders?
2: Well, let's uh, first back up for a second, Dr. Gary. Um, the elephant in the room always is, a comedian talking about depression and suicide, how does that work? I believe a comedian is a good choice, and I'll tell you why. If you Think about the job of the court jester, the original comedian, was to speak truth to power on behalf of the powerless with humor. And I believe I speak truth to the power of mental illness on behalf of those powerless in its grip with humor. Depression suicide run in my family. It's called Generational Depression and Suicide. Grandmother died by suicide, mom found her, great aunt died by suicide, my mom and I found her, I was four years old, I screamed for days. If you would like to know the, I'll spare you the details, they're gory, but if you'd like to know the story, it's in my first TEDx talk called A Matter of Laugh, L-A-U-G-H, or Death. And I myself came close enough to dying in 2010 after losing everything in a Chapter 7 bankruptcy that I can tell you what the barrel of my gun tastes like, Uh, literally. Spoiler alert, I did not pull the trigger.
1: Yeah. good to know Yeah,
2: well a friend of mine was in the audience not long ago he never heard me say that out loud because I say that at every keynote and he came up and said and I quote hey man how come you didn't pull the trigger I go hey man can you try to sound slightly less disappointed <laughs> again the answer to that he guy, must have
1: been a close friend
2: yeah very close friend <laughs> and a comedian the answer to that is also in the first TED talk I've done five TEDx talks all on mental health the last one was my favorite funniest and I got a standing ovation it's called mental health and the orgasm treat your depression single-handedly and (laughs) it was the most fun I've ever had on stage at a TEDx. Got to
1: watch that one.
2: Yeah that's that's going to be my wife goes that's the one that's going to go viral. Um, (laughs) So that's how I come by being a suicide prevention speaker. What I discovered in the run-up to the first TEDx was even though one person in the U.S. dies Every 11 minutes by suicide, hardly anybody talks about it unless you bring it up. Then everybody's got a story. So that's my job, basically. My clients tell me over and over, we brought you in simply to start the conversation on suicide. Something that people find very difficult. Leaders, I'm sure. if Somebody walked into your office and you suspected they were depressed, having thoughts of suicide short of sending them to HR and having the HR person look through the EAP and see what sort of mental health, you know, programs that are available for the employees. But it's, you know, somebody tosses that that hot potato in your lap. You need to know, well, you need to know as a leader certainly what to do. You also need to go upstream a bit and know how to spot signs of depression, thoughts of suicide. Because here's the deal. Eight out of 10 people who are contemplating suicide are ambivalent. They want someone to notice and do something. Nine out of 10 give hints in the last week leading up to an attempt, again, because they want somebody to notice the hint, direct, indirect, verbal, nonverbal, behavioral, and interrupt. So the good news is you can make a difference, you can save a life, and you can do it, oftentimes by doing something as simple as what we're doing right here, which is starting a conversation.
1: Well, I want to add one more thing to this, and I know you know this, but uh, I want to highlight it to our listeners. People that listen to me know I'm former military. My four brothers, my son, my father have 108 years of military service, and the suicide rate in the military for people coming back from combat is more than double the population. So this is a real problem in the military.
2: Yes, and you know what? It's not necessarily having gone to combat and come back. That's at the heart of The suicides in the military, the higher rate is actually, the higher rate is not for people who've gone overseas to a war zone and served. It's those who come back and leave the military because you, in the military, you have that structure. You have a group of people that has your back. And then when you leave the military, the civilian world is not like that. And so it causes a great deal of stress. The, the, the highest rate is of those who have disconnected from the military, whether they served overseas or not.
1: Well, thanks for that clarification, Frank. That's uh, good, not, good information to have. So uh, along with what you're talking about, if you know people that have left the military, let's learn a little bit about the, the signs that you're talking about as leaders and as, as neighbors. If somebody that might have a, uh, somebody in their neighborhood that has left the military and might be struggling. What do we look for?
2: Well, with depression, you want to look for things like uh, eat too much, can't eat, sleep too much, can't sleep. I uh, don't take the same joy in social activities they used to take joy in. A really obvious one is letting their personal hygiene go. Mm. Hair's not quite as clean. Clothes aren't quite as clean. And that's something that, say, a leader, if he's got team members on a Zoom call and you're using video, you know, there's one thing is that sort of working from home slovenly, and then there's... Then there's the. You mean like most
1: of us are during during the, this pandemic? Yeah,
2: exactly. I'm not wearing <laughs> yeah. any pants anyway.
1: Then don't stand up. Okay, <laughs> yeah, go ahead. Don't move the camera.
2: Yeah. So is it is it just a matter of you know relaxed standards because we're at home and working, or is it are they letting their hygiene go? Hair's dirty, clothes are dirtier. Mm-hmm. That's a big time sign that they're struggling because it's difficult some mornings to get out of the bed.
0: Yeah,
2: and and see as a mentally ill person. I have major depressive disorder, chronic suicidal ideation. I wake up in an uncertain world every day, whether there's a pandemic or not. So most mentally ill people who are high functioning have developed systems and techniques to get out of bed in the morning. I have a se- uh, what they call a self-care plan. I've been teaching, by the way, this to neurotypical people, podcasts, radio interviews, webinars, since this thing started. I said, look, here's the deal. I've got a self-care plan. And this is something that a leader can suggest to somebody who is struggling look
1: or maybe a leader can use this themselves as a self-care plan our programs are holistic and sometimes they're not getting enough sleep they're not eating right they're not exercising they're not taking care of themselves so go for it frank
2: exactly i don't believe in simply pharmacology for i think that's a piece of the puzzle in terms of self-care but i have uh, i do diet which i do a keto diet and i fast for 22 hours a day eat for two hours a day so i eat one meal a day and i do keto that's diet Exercise. I got my little exercise stretchy bands here. And I got an old Nordic track behind me, you know, the kind of people hang clothes on. And
1: But you uh, actually use it, right? I
2: actually use it, yes. It's, it's, <laughs> it, it, took some getting, it took some practice to get the muscle memory down. Because, I mean, it's not as easy as it would appear. So diet, exercise, uh, good night's sleep. And we'll talk about that in a second. Meditation. Twice a day I do a guided meditation, 29 minutes. Takes me down, brings me back up, lowers the blood pressure, cortisol, you know, kind of a reset. And then medication. I take uh, a medication for depression, too, actually. And that's my self-care plan. And then I have something called gamification, mm. which is make getting out of bed in the morning for struggling a game. And the way I do it is I make a list of half a dozen things I want to do that day. And the game is as soon as I scratch off number six, I can go back to bed and binge watch Netflix. If it's three in the afternoon and broad daylight, I don't care because I won.
1: So <laughs> you, go. you got your six things done yeah
2: yeah because it gets you up and moving and motion and action is somewhat antithetical to depression anxiety thoughts of suicide mm-hmm. that's not a cure but it's it'll get you out of bed in the morning your feet on the floor and moving forward so it's
1: a piece of the puzzle
2: yes and i believe in a holistic approach you guys do the self-care plan the gamification i also believe that both leader and you know both direct report and leader or whatever need to advocate for themselves on several fronts. You need to advocate for yourself physically. My health plan has a portal that I can go to, my personal portal on the website where I typed in at the beginning, look, I have had two aortic valve replacements, a double bypass, a heart attack, I have three stents. What additional do I need to do as a high-risk patient during COVID? And within 24 hours, my doctor had emailed me back. Now, if I'd called, left that message, I probably still wouldn't have heard. But... You have to advocate for yourself physically, mentally, same thing. If you're struggling mentally, you need to reach out. I'm sure the EAP has provisions for mental health and you could probably get telehealth appointments with a therapist to people always ask, what do you do if you think you're depressed or you think somebody's depressed, get evaluated, find out if it's depression, if it's bipolar, if it's schizoaffective, or is it something physical, you know, that's manifesting as uh, signs of a uh, of mental illness. So you have to advocate for yourself mentally. You have to advocate for yourself physically. And you have to advocate for yourself financially. Because, you know, the $600 a week federal money went bye-bye. Will it will it come back this week? We don't know. The eviction moratorium and the foreclosure moratorium is gone. And so you need to reach out to your mortgage company and all your utilities. And anybody that you pay a monthly bill to. And all of them nowadays have a plan. Because there are so many people, pretty much everybody in the same boat. They've got things set up so that you can, you don't have to have the power cut off. So, but you have to add, you can't hide your head in a hole. You got to advocate for yourself, take action, you know, be proactive with these financial things rather than hide your head in a hole and hope.
1: So put for them is their gamification. They need to make their six items to be on their list to take yeah. care of some of these financial things, right? Yes. Face it. Yeah. yeah. Good. Advocate
2: Good. for yourself physically, advocate for yourself mentally, advocate for yourself financially. And, they interviewed a guy, Forbes had an interview of a guy who was in a space station for a year and almost all the time by himself. And they asked him, okay, one tip. He said, schedule, period, paragraph, schedule, full stop. He said, you go to bed at the same time, you get up at the same time, have your meals at the same time, plan your exercise at the same time, your fun time, your Netflix or whatever. Even if you don't have to you know, commute to a job, pick a time that you're comfortable getting up and get up at that time every day. So you're basically what you're doing is you're controlling the things you can control,
1: uh,
2: and letting the rest go. Which is what with mental illness, that's pretty much my, my life. If I worried about everything I would would worry about, then I just you know. Uh.
1: Yeah, yeah. So
2: the schedule is very important, both for a leader and for the you know the people that work for them.
1: Now, See, it's a routine, right? You get kind of into a rhythm, and that yeah. helps you feel like your life is in control. Is what I'm hearing you say.
2: Yeah, because at work. You pretty much have a rhythm every day, you know, day each day may be different, but you're probably doing the same thing every Tuesday, same thing every Wednesday, you know, or Thursday, we got to do this, you know, and at home, you're at loose ends. You're not used to having, you know, the, those hours stretch out before you and you're not sure exactly. And also a friend of mine goes, I I feel so guilty. I said, why do you feel guilty? She goes, I'm working from home, but I, I just felt like I had to have a nap and I, but I'm working from home. I said,
1: take a nap. You know? Take a nap already. Take two. It's funny you should you know how we've changed the way we do all this video stuff now. My dog gets in the camera and you know, your cat or dog gets in the yeah. camera. I don't know if, what what you have in front of you it's a dog or a cat, but I keep seeing the ears every so often. But yeah, it's, cat. it's okay. It's the cat it's okay. It's like we've gotten to the point now where we're accepting this stuff. And at the same time, there's a lot of power in that in that schedule, in that that routine. And, again, I can learn that from my dog because my dog loves routine. Oh, know? yeah. And it just it just makes the dog happy. So you're right, with a few magnificent exceptions, like an afternoon nap once in a while.
2: Yes. <laughs> if it's okay, if you're working from home, you don't, you don't have to be super productive. And, you know, and with, if you're at home with kids, don't strap them in a chair in the dining room in front of a computer for eight hours. That's not how the school day works. You know, the kid goes in, they have homeroom, and they have a class. They maybe have an art class and then another, you know, core class. And then they have a recess and then they have lunch. and they have a, So, you know, it's you don't have to stuff eight hours of learning into your child every day. And you're not a teacher. It's not going to be as good as what they're getting, you know, in school.
1: At the same time, though, what you're talking about, I want to I want to share just a little bit yeah. with the uh, University uh, Stress Center talks about there's three aspects of, of stress that increased stress in terms of urgency and importance. It's uncontrollable, unpredictable, and perseverance. It, it keeps going. It keeps happening. Yeah. Okay. So in in this pandemic, when we think about it, a lot of times people were in this situation working from home with the kids now and the dogs and the cats and everything going on, there was less control. The pandemic itself with the virus is not in control it's persistent. It's just, it keeps coming at us. You know, you think that we've got it, you know, under control a little bit and it goes out of control. And, and I think part of the challenge and what you're talking about is really important is rather than looking at what's out of control, let's look at what we can control.
2: Yes. And with the, your staff, employees, direct reports, I think because there's so much uncertainty in the world, 9-11 happened on one day Horrible day, but it was beginning, middle, end, and then we began to rebuild. And this thing, you know, dies. Like I said, dies down, it's surging. Is it coming back in the fall? What about the winter? It didn't really have a an end. There's no end in sight. I mean, it may be, but is there going to be a vaccine? You know, is it going to? Is this going to be with us forever, like HIV? Is it just going to be hang around, be a be a chronic illness, and not deadly? I think. The leaders need to be very clear about where the company is headed and how it is headed. In other words, look, like Google came out and said, look, nobody's coming back to work in a building until June of 2021. Which, if I work for Google and they said, you know, you're not coming back into the building until June of 2021, that's one fewer thing I have to worry about. I know I'm going to be at home until June 1st.
1: You got another year. You know what it's going to be like. Yeah, yeah you sure. know
2: exactly where you're going to be and you can settle into a routine. So you need to be extremely clear with your staff, your direct reports, the people that work for you As to what's happening, not only what's happening in terms of scheduling and in office, out of office, from home, but also financially. Let them know how the company is doing. Let them know what the future of the company, what they're projecting. You know, what's coming down the pike for the company? Are there going to be furloughs, cutbacks? Are they changing something significant about the way the company operates? You know, like a lot of the fast food restaurants were using Uber Eats and some other food delivery services. And I think McDonald's said, no, forget that. We're going to create our own. And so a lot of the fast food companies and restaurants are creating their own delivery, you know, no contact delivery services. So yep. that, that's a big change. So you need to don't, as much as you possibly can, don't you know, overshare, but as much as you possibly can, keep the employees up to speed, the people you lead up to speed on what is happening with, be as transparent as absolutely possible. And I would encourage you to encourage the staff, teams to get together together. Obviously, for business purposes, but also maybe once a week for a virtual coffee clatch. Yeah, just sit around and ask everybody how everybody's doing. Anybody having any particular struggles? Anybody having you know need something done? You know, is it maybe they're in a position where they've been quarantined? They can't go to the store. All right, look, leave me a list on the front porch with a with money, and we'll get the groceries, bring them back, drop them on the front porch. You know, no contact, and that way you don't have to worry about. Again, that's advocating for yourself. Don't starve. Reach out. If there were ever a time in the world for you to reach out for help, it would be now because everybody's in the same boat. It's yeah. my mortgage company called me because I'd called them in April. I called the lady in April. I said, Look, I may have trouble making my mortgage. I said, I made it this month, but I may have trouble next. And the first time anybody in a mortgage company ever made me laugh, she goes, Frank, you're having trouble perhaps making a mortgage payment? How could that be? <laughs> I go, man, that's great. You made me laugh. And get this, the mortgage company called me back last week, and I thought I'd missed a payment. I mean, I paid three or four ahead. I thought yeah. I'd a, I called up. I go, you guys called. They go, yeah, you know, you're on the list. You called us and said you might have trouble. We're calling everybody back thirty, sixty days to make sure everything's okay.
1: <laughs> wow, <laughs> wow. Yeah,
2: the mortgage company cares. I can't believe it.
1: Yeah. So but what you're saying, really, you know, we, we get disconnected, you know, people need connection, they need, they need proximity. And, and, and this video thing does not necessarily make up for that. However, sometimes in the list of activities that we have to get done through the day, heads down in front of the computer, getting stuff done, we forget sometimes as leaders to reach out to those people that are around us. The meetings yep. that we used to have, the conversations in the in the kitchen over a cup of coffee, uh, they're all gone. These these informal conversations. So, what are you doing to schedule these informal conversations and and make reach out to people, ask them how they're doing, and not just following up on their activities of work, but to actually stop and look at the person on, on a Zoom call and say, "Hey, Frank, how are you doing?" No, really. How you doing?
2: Yeah, and and I've got a friend who works for a company. I'll leave the name of the company out. It's a large mortgage servicing company, one of the largest. And he's at home working, and he's 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 a good employee. He does his job, but they've set up some kind of software on his laptop that okay. if he doesn't hit a keystroke in eight minutes, his phone rings. What are you doing?
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know,
2: uh, the way I'm wired, my sister's wired we talked about this the other day, she and I and her kids we we do the job the way we want to do the job and we get the job done now it may not be the prescribed way of doing it, but the tasks get done, so it may be that I don't hit the keystroke for 16 minutes, but at the end of the day you know, my all, everything was in my in baskets, now my out basket the work is done, so yeah, they're handling it wrong, I think
1: so years ago, years ago, there was this uh, actually Best Buy started this in their headquarters. It's called ROWE, R-O-W-E a results-only work environment. And that's what you're talking about. Yeah. You've got activities you've got to you get done through the day. You report on those activities. You get them done. What do they care how long it took you? You know, what do they care when you do it? Now, there are exceptions to this. Yeah, and there are parameters. There's parameters, there's exceptions, because if you're taking calls and customer service and you have to be there, but there's a lot of jobs that don't require that. And this results only work environment for a lot of organizations record the work completed, not the keystrokes. Hell, your cat can do the keystrokes So just I'm thinking, put the put the catnip on the on the keyboard (laughs) and have it drop out of a, a container every seven minutes. The cat jumps on the keyboard. You're good. You, You're you good. don't do anything all day. You're good.
2: Yeah. Choose your metrics. I mean, I yes. think is, is, and, and his particular company is horrible and in a lot of ways. And that's just one of the many ways that it is horrible. And someday he's going to quit that company and speak. And, and he said, his speech, I think, is going to be called, You Can Learn from a Bad Example. There you go. Yeah.
1: So – At Staterius, one of the things that we teach leaders is compassionate accountability, the balance of compassionate accountability. And what a lot of inexperienced leaders do is they think they have to be one or the other. They got to be the nice guy, the nice gal, be very compassionate, empathetic and understanding or the drill sergeant, very accountable. Make sure that the work gets done and they flip flop. You know, sometimes they flip flop. And the fact is, is that great leaders are able to do both at the same time in the right proportion. Yeah. And what you're talking about in today's environment, what we need is systems that can hold people accountable and measure the output where needed. And the people environment needs to be needs to provide the compassion and the empathy. Yes. And I think that under pressure, we often do the exact opposite is that we're looking to hold people accountable. They're at home. What if they're screwing off? They're not doing their job. I'm worried. I'm, I'm afraid. I'm already afraid because of the covid, blah, blah, blah. And they, they project that onto others, which creates a stress that's unnecessary rather than, like you said, measure the right things, have the right metrics in place. Let that take care of itself and reach out to each other and be more compassionate.
2: Well, and it's like the same thing applies to families because everybody's home, spouses, children, significant others, whatever. you know, It could be one generation, two or three. And I think you also need to sit down with everybody and coordinate everybody's schedule. Because it's not just the person who's work, the person maybe the breadwinner working from home whose schedule's important, you know the the other spouse or significant other, and then the kids. You know, you need to sit down. <laughs> you know what I said to somebody? You need a whiteboard with an org chart, you know, and and map out everybody's day. And yeah, you, yeah, you got X amount of stuff to get done. One of the most difficult things that I've struggled with as an entrepreneur since I started doing comedy is managing my time because it is my time. I can do. You know, I need to be doing this, my taxes. But you know, gosh, the grass needs cutting. I'll I'll do my taxes after I can cut the grass. So for people who have had a job where they've been told what to do five days a week, forty hours a week to come home and have you know it's almost almost apoplectic, just like uh, frozen yeah. in place. Where do you start? What's in the middle? How do you end? How does the day end when you never left the house? I mean, your commute from the bedroom to the living room. How does that work? So.
1: Yeah. And and as as you talk about this, I just point out that really we all have the same amount of time. Everybody has the same amount of time. Yeah. It's not about time management. It's priority management. And just like your gamification, you wake up in the morning, you got your six things. These are the most important things I got to get done today. And if people could just do that one thing, you know, it, you needed to get out of bed to get motivated. Yeah. Other people need to do it so that they don't waste their efforts i'm I'm not going to say waste their time right i'm going to say waste their efforts and they waste all of their efforts on things like well can the lawn wait till tomorrow because i've got these important things to do today the lawn's urgent because it's getting it's getting i'm looking out the window and it's getting ugly (laughs)
2: isn't there like a four four box you know it's urgent but not important it's important but not urgent you know there's a you you divide things up as to what i say yes Uh, my wife will ask me, I'm going, I'm putting out a fire in the trash can. Yeah, that's, (laughs) that's urgent. It's pretty urgent urgent and important. Yeah. So I try to make a list of things. Absolutely.
1: The four quadrants of uh, time management, priority management actually was developed with uh, a couple of guys, but it became famous with the seven habits of highly effective people uh, in the quadrant management. And you're right. It's important. It's balancing importance and urgency and understanding how to balance those two.
2: Well, and another thing is the, With some businesses, they're bringing a certain number of people back in to the, you know, to a point where they can push the desk far enough apart or have them in cubes far enough apart that they're working from the office. So that's, their needs are, are different than the needs of the people at home. They're obviously very important if they've been called in and you you made the physical accommodations so you also need to, you know, just because they're back in the office doesn't mean all is fine.
1: Right. That's right. Cause
2: you know, in, in, in an office situation during the day, you go to the, go to the break room, grab a cup of coffee, you swing by somebody's desk on your way back to yours, you chat up, you know, you talk about sports or you may cover some topic, business topic, something that's important in your, for your team and then back to your desk. And so that's not going to be happening. You're not going to begin that yeah. social interaction at the office, at least not anywhere close to one another. So, um, and you know, there's there's fear of the mm-hmm. COVID. There's fear you're going to get it. There's fear you might give it to somebody else. There's anger when you're at the grocery store and, and the the guy in front of you has got a mask on, but he's not doesn't have his nose covered. I mean, there's a range of emotions. Yes. You know, I mean, people people getting shot, stabbed, and beat up over the you know the the you know wearing a mask, not wearing a mask, coming too close. It's just – my wife yeah. works as a frontline worker. She's a cashier in a grocery store. She sees about 300 people a day. Wow. Yeah, and they got the plexiglass. She wears a mask. But the, um, the real toll is not the mask or the plexiglass. It's the 300 people who are on edge. Yes. You know, even if they're polite, there's an ed- everybody's got an edge because of the uncertainty is – and that that's why my speech – my keynote is called Social Distancing and Staying Sane. Don't worry about your mentally ill friends. Because we're we're so used to dealing with these things. You know You're said, better
1: you're better equipped than us normal people is what you're saying, yeah, right?
2: I, I've been doing podcast webinars and maybe I told you in radio interviews, teaching neurotechnical yeah. people how to I said here's the deal. It's like it's like you start on the walking dead for seven years. And then all of a sudden there is a zombie apocalypse. You're like, I got this. We built <laughs> some vegetables. You know, you, you make sure you stick them in the head to kill them. You know, you, you know how to handle this.
1: Right. Yeah. So I'm going to, I want to finish up with two questions. Okay. Yeah. The first one I often ask in my podcast is if you could write yourself a letter and send it back to yourself 25 or 30 years. And you could say, hey, Frank, here's what I'd like you to work on. Here's what I'd like you to think about. What would that letter say to Frank?
2: Well, what I'd like to do is I'd like to send it back to the mid eighties. Okay. And it would say when Sandra Schrift from the speakers bureau comes up to you at a national speaker association meeting and says to you, you can be a comedian and you can be a professional speaker. The two are not mutually exclusive. Rather than go, no, I'm a club comic and go on your way. Take her advice.
1: <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah, because you know what the difference is between a comedian and a speaker about five thousand dollars a day plus travel. Yeah. So if I could t- talk to my young self, I say, look, take her seriously. Develop a corporate because my cor- cl- my comedy was always very clean. It was I eventually in the mid nineties transferred to the corporate comedy circuit. But if I'd done that ten years earlier, Gary, I'd have have a much bigger house.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
2: It's the best piece of advice I ignored.
1: So, so the message really is: uh, pay attention to the suggestions of others. Don't just out of hand throw it out because it might be a great opportunity that you're throwing away.
2: Yes, I would also, along those lines, uh, if I could go back, my wife and I have been married 33 years. I would listen to every piece of advice she gave me, unless it came to taking a joke out of my act. Anything else, finances. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) You know, because I've said this. I've written a book with two other authors on men's mental health. And it's stories of men by men for men, men with a problem, and how they're coping. Because men take advice from men. That's just the way of the world. I've said many times, my wife could give me a Nobel Prize winning idea. And I would poo-poo it. If the mailman told me the same thing, I'm all over
1: it. (laughs) That's great. That's great. I, I also find that what happens is is those closest to us give us that advice early on and it's sitting there kind of ruminating. It's sitting there kind of, you know, marinating in the brain. And then somewhere along the line, somebody else tells you and you go, huh, this is like the second. But we don't remember this. We don't remember who told us the first and second time. It's probably our wife. Yep. The third or fourth time somebody says that you go home and you go to your wife. You're not going to believe what John just told me today. This is such a great idea. They always look at you. What do they say?
2: They've been telling you that for
1: years. Thank you very much. So I think the idea for leaders is just listen, you know, just listen. Yeah. So, Frank, I really appreciate your time and thoughts. I want to put uh, information into the show notes so that uh, people can find out how to get a hold of you.
2: Can I Um, one last thing? Please. We talked about signs of depression. Let's talk about very briefly signs of Thoughts of suicide. Okay. Okay. Talking about death and dying, Googling death and dying, it appears as a theme in their artwork. Collecting the means, of course, stockpiling pills or buying a weapon. Putting their affairs in order. Giving away prized possessions because they want to make sure they go to the people they want them to go to when they are gone. And here's the counterintuitive one that's extremely dangerous. They've been depressed forever, and all of a sudden, for no apparent reason, they're happy. Now, you're happy because they're happy. But it may be because they've chosen time, place, method, and they know the pain is finite. And by the way, that'll be my last thought. People ask, why did so-and-so want to kill themselves? They didn't, chances are, want to kill themselves. They simply wanted to end the pain.
1: Yeah, yeah. When the pain of death is less than the pain of life. Yeah, we may change. We may make that choice. Yeah.
2: And that's where I live, by the way, because of chronic suicidal ideation, I I sit in the exit row next to the window on an airplane. and I I am willing to pull the door open any time. Ironically, that option allows me to stand a great deal of pain. Yeah. If it weren't for my chronic suicidal ideation, I would have killed myself a long time ago. But I've got an out so I can (laughs) stand just about anything.
1: Yeah. Well, I'm sure it's made you very resilient, and I really appreciate the message and the fact that you're here. Me too. Uh, that's the that's, uh, that's big thing. I, my dad, who uh, passed away last September at 90 years old, I was sad and grateful. I say that because he had his first heart attack at 53 and completely changed his life, got healthy, lost 50 pounds, took care of himself, and uh, lived 30 years longer than any other male in our family up until him.
2: Yeah, I had my first at 53 as well. My only one at fifty three.
1: Yeah, and what he told us, and he taught all of his boys, he just said, "Just keep moving." Yeah,
2: because object in motion remains in motion unless acted upon by an outside force.
1: That's the, one of the laws of physics. That's yep. right. Yeah, Frank, thanks a lot for uh, being with us today, for for your humor and for your resilience, and uh, I just really appreciate the the messages. Thanks so much. My pleasure. I'm Dr. Gary, making good bosses into great leaders with compassionate accountability. Thank you for once again listening to Leading from the Front, where leadership is a responsibility, not a position. Take care and be well.
0: Thanks for being with us on Leading from the Front with Dr. Gary McGrath. Remember to subscribe to this podcast on Apple or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about the work Dr. Gary is doing, visit statarius.com, S-T-A-T-A-R-I-U-S.com. Music for Leading from the Front is provided by Peter Katz. For more of his music, visit peterkatz.com.